Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to Eric Harrison. Our guest is the Director of Engineering at Marketplacer, and he has some great reflections on his leadership and the things that can help organisations lead and function better. So let's not delay, let's get Eric into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Eric, and welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who do you work for and what do you do? Yeah, so I work for a company called Marketplacer. They're based out of Australia. I am the director of engineering out here in the U.S. for them and uh, just trying to build a wonderful company culture with uh, some great teams and people. So, Eric, I'm always interested and really curious about people's journey to their kind of tech position now. What's your tech journey been like? Yeah, so I started off at a young age. I started when I was 15 building computers in the back of a a little mom and pop shop. Really enjoyed that. Really took off. Got into doing some systems administration, networking, then got into doing quality assurance, did some programming. And that's where I really started to hit my stride. I started going into leadership once I, I found uh, mentoring and and helping junior developers come up it really excited me seeing their their journey and, and them really come into their own really uh, inspired me and so that's where I started my leadership journey and now I'm into director roles and that's where I'm at now fantastic and what was that transition like then what what was the what was the challenges you had in that transition? So I think the hardest bit was really letting go of what the product is going to be or what the code is going to be, shaping people and how the teams decide things versus shaping the actual things themselves. That was really a difficult thing, especially when you come up from a role as an engineer and someone who really likes being hands-on and dirty and, and designing those, those solutions for problems starting to let go of that became difficult. So coming on now to the company that you work for, what's the problem that it's solving in the market? So we're basically a place that lets you build a marketplace. So you go on to say albertsons.com and want to buy something that they don't necessarily sell. We provide a backend service that allows anybody to set those up. So we've came from that originally with bikeexchange.com.au and now we're heading into the U.S. market, trying to get our uh, product out there and, and allowing anybody to basically build a marketplace of, of shops, endless aisles and products for days. Yeah, that's, that sounds fantastic. And, and what's the kind of customers that you have? What's the size of, uh, of companies? Yeah, so we really target small and medium business on the, on the more medium side of things, all the way up through enterprise. We have out in Australia, we have Qantas on um, in the US. Albertsons is, is a client of ours. Bike Exchange is wow. another big one too. And they're yeah. across the world. 
And what are the kind of common pain points that you experience uh, with individuals? What brings them to you to kind of uh, allay those uh, pains? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that that comes up is just how to handle the sellers, right? Most people are very good at their own business and understanding exactly how they can do their own aisles, um, like Albertson selling groceries. Well, now they want to be able to sell anything. So how do they know anything about all the other stuff? So how do we integrate all that stuff? That's, that's really important. And then on top of that is actually how to handle multiple sellers. I can sell my own stuff, but once I start giving those invoicing and products over to other people to fulfill, how does that get handled? That's really our, our sweet spot right there. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. What's that passion that makes you jump out of bed in the morning and wants you to wants you to get to work as soon as possible? What drives you, sir? I think the biggest thing right now and for the last several years is really the people aspect, like helping helping people grow. Like I, I always said, like if I'm doing my job well, the people that I'm helping will replace me. You know, I, I really truly believe that I should make myself dispensable. I should be able to be replaced by anybody that I'm helping. And that's something that drives me in the mornings to sit there and go, how can I support these people to make sure that their day goes well and that they grow today? Yes. Excellent. That sounds fantastic. And what, and what brought about that passion? What, why is that there? Yeah. So it, it's funny story. I was over at uh, team snap and I was as a senior developer and working, uh, they're helping a new person come on. And one of the things it, it absolutely gutted me at the time, they were coming to me and they said, hey, my PRs keep coming back, getting knocked back, all these different problems with everything that I'm doing. I feel like I can't do anything right. And I'm like, holy cow, like that just like gutted me as a, as a person and as a developer. I was like, we shouldn't be making people feel like this. And so that really was like that pivot for me where I went from, wanting to do the development and helping people to hey, I need to lead these people to help understand what is driving them and what's what's holding them back. And and so that was really the pivot point for me. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's great kind of learning. And then now coming on to your leadership, what's the style of uh, your leadership? What how do you roll as a leader? I think it comes from a point of curiosity. I think we really need to make sure we're curious and and come from that point, um, asking our people what they need, what they like, what drives them, understanding them from that point, rather than coming with solutions, I want to come with questions and help them find that solution. That's, that's really the, the aspect that I think is, is most important from a day-to-day, uh, uh, role is, is knowing what, what is important to them and, and what is their needs. Yeah, fantastic. That's that's great. And and what are the leaders that you kind of look up to? Are there any kind of names of leaders that kind of that you follow their style and you kind of like the way they roll? So there's two in particular. Um, Shane Emmons, he was uh, my leader over at Team Snap. Absolutely, yes, absolutely guy. great guy. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, really helped me understand myself too. Like I, I remember at one point. He was chatting with someone else that we worked with and they're going, Hey, why is, why is Eric going down this route? And, and he talked to me about it. He's like, Hey, I I hope this didn't bother you. But like, I feel like for you, it's what's that next, next problem that you're trying to solve. What's the, the, 
the something that's really going to test you as a as your person and that was that challenge and i was like you know that's that's actually a really good point like i felt really good about how i technically was and stuff like that but helping that people person skill that was something that was a bit new to me and he really helped guide me on that um and then the other person that really helped me technically is actually the CTO I work for now. His name's Andy Kelk out of uh, Australia. I worked with him when I was out in Australia and he really helped me guide technically and how to learn and, and grow technically. And that helped me how to help uh, bring up junior and, and interns and help them build up their skills. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. That's great. And as a leader, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? wellness um i it, it's funny because we've seen this great resignation this year and it's i've i've done so much reading about it just because it, i was like this is really interesting to me and it's really being driven by the wellness of our employees and what does that mean and it's such a broad term you know and we look and try and understand what does that mean but so many times we're not necessarily asking what that means to our employees um there was a uh, study out of, I think, um, Fortune did it, and they were asking a bunch of CEOs what what steps they have taken in the last 12 months to help strengthen and attract their people. And there, there's they went through this list, and somewhere near the top, there was focusing on, on wellness and stuff like that. And right, right down at the very, very bottom was more time off. But then I started digging into, I'm like, well, is that really you know, exclusive to each other. And they're really not. There is so many studies that have been out recently about how people feel about their own time and wellness that they want that extra time off to be able to be well on their own and have their own lives outside of work. So, you know, it's like the four day work weeks or the six hour work days. So that was really interesting to me because it's not, we're not asking our employees. We're, we're assuming a lot, I think. So, Eric, uh, you mentioned something really interesting around work-life balance, and I want to explore that a little bit more with you. Yeah, so with work-life balance, it's something that's really important right now to people. It's it's that change of how valuable is my time, and and people are really, really keen on, on making sure that their time is protected. And, I mean, there's so many different studies that have gone out there. I know we've all heard the one from, you know, Scandinavian countries go into four day work weeks and it not affecting productivity, but no one actually talked about how the wellness changed in that. Right. So there's been many different places that have changed to either four day work weeks. Um, Microsoft in Japan switched uh, to that as well on a four day work week and they got productivity boost of 40%. I'm like that's all great and all, but when we're talking about our employees, what does that affect them? Well, the interesting thing was when they went back and talked to these people, they said there's a 45% increase in what they felt was a great work-life balance satisfaction. Like that means more to me than anything. There was another one done when they talked about the one in the Scandinavian areas or countries that they went to the four day work week. People started self-defining their, their wellness as being great. And they went from like 40% up to something, I think it was like 63%. In, and it was like, it's a huge difference. Like if I can give 23% of my people the wellness that they really want and have them describe it as a, a great self wellness, then why wouldn't I, you know, it's no cost of productivity, but their wellness factor goes from 40 to 63%. That's a huge, that's a huge yes. gain. 
Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, in, people say this is all kind of soft stuff, but it's actually the hard stuff. This hits the bottom line. Absolutely. And, and it's been proven again and again. So I'm hoping that the, uh, the science and the kind of business learning will actually kind of catch up and uh, align with each other. Yeah. And it's not an easy problem to solve because it's not just one area of the business that can do it. You have to change the entirety of your business to, to deal with that because you can't just have this group go on four day work week and not everyone else. Cause then there's just a problem there. Yes. But, but the, like you said, the data is there. It shows that it, it matters and it really is something that produces a very, you know, great result for your employees yes. with, with no cost to you. Yeah. Well, I'm, here you go. As, as the host of CTO Confessions, I'm hoping one day this will be a historical record of, oh, my God, they used to do five day weeks, you know. I know, um, right. So, you know, it'll be good to kind of reflect back on that. And creating kind of a collection of t- people, uh, teams, ho- and making them high performing. What are your tips around that, particularly around communication in, in this day and age as well with this whole remote work thing going on? Yeah. And that's a that's an interesting topic, too, that I've I've really started reading a bit more on too because everyone thinks oh let's let's use like slack or any of these microsoft teams these real-time chats and they seem really good and i i worry though sometimes maybe is that hurting us a bit because we have this this fomo that's come about in our you know this recent generation Mm. and is that really driving us to be our best and i don't necessarily think it is i feel like we have to make sure we protect our team's time as if they were in an office where they can say, Hey, I'm busy. Just leave me alone without having that demand. So what I like to do is ask my employees what they liked. How do they want to be um, talked with? Like, is, do you want me to email you? Do you want me to Slack you? What means of communication work for you so that I'm not interrupting your day and and stressing you out more than you already are. Yes. And it, it's really different on, for everybody. Some people want that, hey, I just wanna be able to see this, this thread that's going on in Slack and, and see it on the side of my screen. Whereas others like, just email me and I'll, I'll read it when I can. Yes, that's right. This kind of uh, being on all the time, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people get a real buzz out of it, but sometimes yeah. it's nice to have that, uh, that island of peace and quiet and less pings kind of thing, you know? Um, and um, alignment, this is a common issue in a lot of organizations. You know, how do you maintain alignment? You've got this beautiful vision and then you've got these kittens kind of running off in different directions. What's your tips around that? Yeah, so OKRs, I know sometimes it becomes a dirty word uh, <laughs> and, and that's okay. But I, though someone once told, or told me very recently too, like there's something that's actually hidden from the OKRs and that's the initiatives, right? We have our objectives and our key results, but what are those initiatives? Those initiatives is what produces the key results that align to the objectives. And because they're hidden from that term, a lot of people don't break that out. And and that's how I think we align. So let's build the initiatives that align to the objectives and that can produce a key result. Um, and, And that's really a great way to do it. I think the other problem we have with alignment is is when we start going through transitions or or you know transformations and what ends up happening is we want to work the way we used to work but we know we need to change into a new way and that change is really a difficult thing that's something i've done at the last two companies and that we're doing here as well is how do we bring along 
what our culture was when we were trying to align to new business needs. Yes. And that, that's something that's usually a really difficult task to, to overcome. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, this is a topic that we kind of find mentioned quite a lot with tech leaders. It's about augmenting teams, you know, <laughs> creating a collection of uh, different forms of uh, resource, you know. So you have your in internal teams and you have your external teams, maybe outsourcing projects or insourcing. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, so I did that in my last company. We were mostly actually um, nearshored uh, in South America. And I think you can absolutely do that. I think there's a very key difference about how we think about outsourcing now than it used to be. And it, it's a hard thing to get past, but we have to have people that are part of our group and feel that buy-in. Before you'd sit there and go, hey, how, how can I get this done faster and cheaper? And you just send it off and those people go and do the work. The problem that we get in there is that we start to get people that are conditioned to that. I need to do it faster and I need to do it cheaper, but we're losing out on that quality. And then when they get it back, it, you're like, oh my God, I just can't do anything with this. So you have to really foster that mentality and make sure you have the people and, and that they feel safe and secure in their job. Like you have to make sure that they feel protected to do the time to do it quality versus doing it quick and yes. fast. Yeah, I love it. That's great. And growing pains of companies. Um, you've been involved in companies that have been growing. You're growing as well as a company. What are the foundations that you spot that would be kind of good precursors for growth? That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on the company more than anything else. Like it has to really align to that culture and, and understanding. I think when you're building out from scratch, where, like where I'm at now, it's a little bit different than at the last company where I came in and I'm growing in a different way and trying to get more predictable. So at the last place, when we're trying to get the teams that we already have growing to be a predictable rate, it's, it's more about how do you get the teams to understand themselves? So what questions do we ask of them? What guidance do they need from us in order to understand what they're doing and how they do it and, and what's working for them? Whereas when you're building from scratch, it's about getting the people in that can help build those out with you yes. versus guiding them. Because that's already, when you come into a company fresh and there's a group, you have a fresh perspective. Yes. Whereas if you're coming in from scratch and there's nobody, everybody has a fresh perspective. So we need to make sure there's a, there's a difference on, on how we structure that. That's a great point, actually. I, I love that. And any engineering challenges you're facing as maybe part of that growth or just engineering challenges as a whole? I, I think the biggest thing I, I've seen is where we want to chase technology. So um, there's always that, hey, is this the next silver bullet? And I feel like there's no silver bullets. I am very much a person who believes in in doing what makes sense in that time. So, you know, we had this whole push for microservices. Everyone was like, yes, microservices, that's going to solve our problems. I'm like, well, does it really? And in mm -hmm. some cases it does. In some cases it doesn't. Um, and then like I wear a Ruby shop. I absolutely love Ruby. You know, there was a big push. Hey, let's go do Elixir because it's faster. It's quicker. You know, we don't have all these constraints that end up having with Ruby and having to, you know, have millions of servers just to, you know, serve our, our people. And that was a great push for a couple of years. And now it's kind of come back. And it's, it's those things that like, I absolutely love playing into those spaces and learning what that opportunity can provide for us. 
but there's no silver bullet. So let's let's use it in a way that makes sense for us. Fantastic. That's great. That's the yeah. I've never done Ruby myself, but uh, you know I hear good things about it. So that's great to hear uh, a fan of of that kind of approach. Um, and as we come towards the closing arc of our kind of time together, the uh, uh, what advice would you give for uh, aspiring tech leaders? I think the biggest thing you can do is you, you have to understand your own biases and then ask questions without those. So I think even just outside of tech leadership, any leadership in, in, in general, we have these sort of biases that we don't even necessarily understand. Like, oh, I like to do things my way. I see things this way. This is just who I've been and how I've come at and how I come into a, a problem and sit there and go, hey, is that an actual bias when I'm trying to solve that and and pull that away and ask that question, you know? So I've had it before where I've come into solutions and I'm like, I don't like microservices, like just like we touched on. So I'm like, let's, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is that my bias against it? That's really challenging that or am I actually challenging the solution because it doesn't make sense? And so pulling that out and asking that question really helps support that uh, a better solution. And I I think you want to make sure you have the teams asking those questions too. So go into it and ask your teams to ask those questions. Try and make them replace you by asking those questions for you. The more you can pull yourself out of the out of your people's lives because they're doing what you were doing for them, the more they will grow and the more you can grow. Fantastic. Great advice. And any books or talks or, or anything that have been kind of instrumental and gateways into your learning as a leader? Yeah. So in particular, like on a, on a two that I really enjoyed, um, for a general sense, Lisa Adkins, um, her, her, arc into her world and, and going and growing as an agile leader. Uh, she comes and tells us about this concept of shuhari. Um, that was really game changing for me. Cause I'm like, you know, it, it's not an, it's not a, a set point. Like, I mean, agile is all about iterative, but the, the idea that, you know, you, you can, be the rule and then break the rule. I really, I really absolutely love that idea because it it feeds all the way back into what works for your team. So if you're asking those questions and they can understand why that they do these things and what the change is when they break them, that makes for a better performing team and a happier team for that matter. Yes. Yes. And then the other one, I, I went to a talk and it was, this is more of a technical side um, out at Agile conference in Tennessee a couple of years back. And oh, I can't remember his name, but he was uh, worked for Microsoft. And he was telling us about how like there's always this debate about whether we point for cards and, and or we just do them. And he kind of took that a little bit farther and saying like, we just, we don't estimate anything, but we break them down. So everything can be done in a single day. If anything is going to take us more time than a single day, we break it down further. And his explanation of it was really, really interesting in the sense that like what allows them to do is know a lot sooner when a problem's coming up, because if I didn't finish that, that day, something happened. 
So instead of sitting there going, yeah, I think I can, I can swing this, you know, hum humans are, are driven by hope. You know, that's why we play the lottery. That's why we aspire anywhere. You know, if we don't have the hope that this will succeed, we wouldn't aspire to do anything. So if I'm in there and I'm like, Hey, this is going to take a week. And on day one, I'm like way behind. I hope that I'm going to be done. So I'm inserting my bias at that point going, mm -hmm. I bet you I'll finish by the end of the week. And so my hope, and it's not all of, you know, subconscious starts to hide a problem. But if I only say, Hey, I can only take a day the very next day. If I'm not done, I don't have a choice. My hope is removed from that situation. My bias is taken out and I'm like, yep. Hey, I have a problem. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I like it. And uh, coming back to the Lisa Aitken book, that's a brilliant book. Honestly, it's a book of books, isn't it? Oh, uh, it is. I have I have two of them sitting on my shelf. Oh, behind. excellent, two of them. Yeah, <laughs> the, and my wife. Oh, well, brilliant. Yes, and I've been eager. I, I know I know people that are good friends with her, so uh, I'm always eager to kind of meet up. And uh, and so if you're listening, Lisa, you know, let's do lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and also what I particularly like that book just kind of from a leadership perspective is that it has a very uh, servant leadership, very uh, coachy approach to to uh, enabling uh, for things to emerge out of the teams, which is which is wonderful. You know, it's a it's an art. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that is I was actually reading Lisa Adkins book on my flight to Tennessee to go to that agile conference. And I happened to be reading another article just after about the psychology of people and, and happiness. And what they talked about was, you know, as humans, we can only keep, you know, a certain number of things or tasks in our mind at a time. So they said, focus on the happy thoughts or the wellness type of things and the bad stuff will fall away. And so when I brought back to the teams, I asked my teams, I'm like, hey, do you think maybe if we do our retros, if we just say what we like, what did good and what we want to start doing, and not do the, hey, what didn't I like? Or what are the anchors or what's blocking us? What can that do for us? And what I found was interesting was they started actually talking positively about the negative. So rather than coming at us with a problem, uh, nice. they would think harder about it and go, hey, this is how I word it as a solution. Instead of I don't want to do X, it's I'd rather do Y. And it was really an interesting thing. And so now we had retros that were just always positive and people came out with a much happier feeling about it. That's brilliant. I love that. That's going to be one of my takeaways from this conversation because I think uh, retros, I'm a big fan of retros because they're, well, if you're, going to have, if you're going to have a learning organization and learning team, then, you know, they kind of, you have to have that space assigned. You know, almost like a, I always uh, joke sometimes, it's almost like a, a doctor's appointment. You ain't going to miss it. You know, you've got to be right. there. It's a, it's allocated. It's, it's the one, if, if, if I only have one uh, ceremony that the teams have to do. And I, I will not back on it's retro. So I'm like, you have to do a retro. And if they don't want me there, then I don't go, you know, I want that to be their safe space and they should be able to say whatever they want. Yeah. 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 That's right. And any other, actually, while we're on the to topic of uh, kind of agile and scrum in particular, any other kind of tips or things that have really worked for you on that front? Uh, you know, I. Uh, I think, yeah, so the biggest thing I, I try to shoot for is instead of doing like a, a two-week sprint, I always like to chop a day. Uh, drop one day of that sprint and give that to your people for planning, for innovation, for learning, and, and let that be their time. 
Brilliant. It does. There's no cost to to you as a company. There's no cost to anything of productivity, but it really lets them have their time. Brilliant. Yeah, that's. Yeah, quite a few enlightened companies kind of allocate that twenty percent or whatever it is uh, uh, time to do that. And, and what have you found that you, that's emerged from that opportunity, uh, that kind of space for them to do what they want? How do the people use that? Uh, oh, most of them actually use it just to to learn more about something that is coming up or uh, technology that might support them. I had one person many many years ago that um and this was as i was a more of a senior dev and i took this designer that was just you know ui ux guy and he used that time to pair with me and go and wanted like hey let's look at this stuff and he learned ruby that way so he went from just being like a ui ux designer and now i if i remember correctly and he's out in australia he's like a a engineering manager like i mean like he just he rolled with it i absolutely (laughs) love that Fantastic! That is that is that's a great story. I, I love stories like this because they they kind of reinforce. You know, we all talk about yeah, let's have twenty percent time to. But when you hear a real story like that of uh, something magical that came out of it, that is brilliant. And um, here you go. I'm going to offer you a tech wish, Eric. Okay, I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second, and you have a wish for your leadership, for your company, for your industry, anything you want. What would you wish for? If I were to have one wish. I would say let's stop pulling the humanity out of business. I, I always hate when I hear let's, you know, it's just business. It's not personal. You know what? Everyone that conducts business is a person. So let's stop pulling the humanity out of it. Brilliant. Honestly, I absolutely could not agree with that any more than I agree with it right now. Because this is the thing. I mean, I have a, I have a passion around bringing humanity into the workplace. It's, it's it, you know, I wish there was a movement around this because I think this is what we've lost in, in organizations. And actually, when you bring it in, everybody wins. Everybody wins, you know? It's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, there was a post on LinkedIn I saw the other day and it, it really intrigued me. And I started reading, I shared it as many places I could, that uh, they talked about this guy who had a business and he ran it his entire life and his his kids asked him is like why didn't you ever grow it and one of the things he mentioned is like once you start trying to grow it to be some massive thing you have to step on someone you pulled the humanity out of it and 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 stopped caring about something somewhere whether it's your employees or your customers or your vendors or your contractors at some point he's like i felt like i couldn't grow it without stepping on someone yeah, that's that's a very. I love the integrity around his value uh, and purpose around that. So, ego is a tough question for you. Do you think it is possible for a company to grow and hold its humanity? Absolutely. It's just about how you treat everybody. Like you can't sit there and go, "Well, you're not able to do this, or you're not able to do that," simply because it's it's going to cost me a little bit more than I want to. Like. There's, there's always a balance and, and when things are in that balance, it works great for everybody. It's when you try and swing that pendulum too far one way or the other, it, it starts to hurt it. So if I'm sitting there going, I need to have, you know, a 20 to 40% year on year growth and that's great. But when I swing that, I'm like, Hey, I need like 50, 60, 70% year on year growth of revenue. You're like, that's a bit far. That's a lot reaching. What is going to happen there? And then what's going to happen is someone in that chain of, of 
of your business is going to get hurt and going to get stepped on and something's going to fail for them, whether that's your employee's wellness or a customer's needs go unmet. You know, it could be a million different things, but I think it's about having that balance. Absolutely. That's brilliant. I could talk about this for hours because this is a, a real passion and purpose of mine as well. And as, so as we come to the full stop of our time together, Eric, what's your final key takeaway that you'd like to offer the men, women, tech leaders out there? Just listen to your, your people and remove yourself. When you can remove yourself and your bias from what your people need, then they get what they need. Brilliant. I love that. A great positive note to finish on. Thank you for your time, Eric. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I enjoyed being here. Well, that was a wonderful collection of wisdom from Eric there. Eric's final key takeaway for me was a really important one and for all of us. And that's an all with capitals. We all have our biases and we need to shine the light of awareness on them as often as possible. Anyway, I'm going to share my key takeaways now. Think about what yours were. My first key takeaway is on Eric's comment about outsourcing and augmenting teams with external partners and the subject of belonging. Firstly, belonging is a key value and principle I live by. If people feel like they belong fully to the work they are doing and to the group they are working in, better work emerges. There is better alignment. The vision and mission settle in people's hearts and minds and they work to make it come true. And secondly, on the subject of belonging, being a part of IT Labs and our teams as a service service, I know why our projects we conduct with our clients are so successful and the relationship so long-lasting. It's a sense of belonging in that partnership and a sense of wanting to belong to that partnership in the fullest way that we can. Belonging is a deep human need. It's part of our humanity. Play to that wonderful need with your internal and external teams. My second key takeaway is around the subject of Lisa Adkins' teachings. I agree her book is wonderful and makes me want to read it again. In fact, I will. The idea of shuhari being the rule and then breaking the rule. After all, as Eric said, it all feeds back into whatever works for the team and the situation at hand. I meet the moment and break the rules if it serves the moment. What matters is the outcomes. My third key takeaway is around Eric's share on that Microsoft tech leader at the Tennessee conference. The one that took a very interesting approach to work items, i.e. instead of estimating work, breaking them down into tasks that can be done in a day. This seems to open up some interesting possibilities and some pleasant side effects, especially around the psychology of progress and being able to be more aware that things are not going to happen in the time allocated or the plan that we envisaged. The idea of breaking things down and stay fit into a day is a really interesting idea. And so we come to my fourth and final key takeaway for this podcast. And this is on a subject that is very close to my heart. Eric's comment about humanity and his statement of stop pulling humanity out of businesses is a very, very important one. And I loved Eric's comment, his controversial comment about limiting company growth and keeping humanity and caring in the space. So there you have it. Those are my key takeaways. I loved my conversation with Eric and it's great to hear another fellow leader, a fellow tech leader, talking about humanity in the workplace and that real compassion and care for the people within the organisation. Because at the end of the day, the soft stuff impacts the hard stuff. It hits the bottom line and it encourages the bottom line. So thank you, Eric, for your time. It was great to have you on CTO Confessions. And finally... 
Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.